0: I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity, auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. As always, I'm your host, Jason Harmon, CTO from Stoplight. It's been a little bit since I've said the phrase, today we're going to do something a little different because I felt like I was beating it to death, but uh, we really are doing uh, something in two plus years of the podcast we really haven't gotten into. I think we talk a lot about kind of REST and GraphQL and all these sort of synchronous APIs. Sometimes we talk about event-driven stuff, but today we're going to really get into kind of real-time and sort of streaming protocol stuff with... uh, Quite the expert on the subject, Mr. Varun Singh. Uh, Varun, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Jason. Absolutely. Um, So, uh, you know, Varun had kind of come to us, uh, you know, talking about coming on, and uh, it it was a real easy one to say yes to when we kind of looked. And uh, he's got 12 IETF uh, and W3C specifications, numerous patents. So, when it comes to kind of real time streaming, uh, I think we got the guy here. Um, So Varun, tell us a little bit about kind of your journey in this uh, streaming stuff and uh, what put you in your current role as chief product and technology officer at Daily.
1: Thank you very much. And yeah, it's been a journey. Uh, I started, you know, about 20 years ago, straight out of school, working for a semiconductor company. And at that time, the whole rage was megapixel cameras. If you remember cameras like phones became smartphones, smartphones carried cameras people started to take pictures uh, and that was juxtapositioned by web 2.0, like emerging in the same period. Uh, I used to work for a company called ST microelectronics and then at Nokia, In both of those roles I was working on cameras uh, and the camera hardware and the software that goes with it. Um, That's how I got into the space. And my background before that was like communications. I came from an electrical engineering background uh, and such. Um, As you know, historically like 15 years ago like we had this issue with Nokia being like outcompeted by Apple and such so at that time i kind of left the industry to go pursue a phd and i started to work on real time communications because that was the evolution of like taking cameras from like taking still pictures and recording and storing it locally on your device to like live streaming it or like communicating with another person across the, across the internet so things like skype what really changed like 15 years ago was the insight that we've been building real-time communications in silos. So you had the Cisco's, you had the Skype's, you had the Microsoft messengers. They were all building these stacks independently, trying to solve the same problem repeatedly. Um, and people envisioned that if Web 2.0 had to like achieve its full success, it would have to be able to like work with these protocols uh, so that anyone could build, like right now we're using Zencaster, you know, like the fact that we're able to like communicate and a product like Zencaster does not have to rely on like Skype or Zoom or anything. It can actually use uh some of the native APIs available. So the question became like, what is the big gap between like the siloed solutions and how to make it accessible through through APIs? So that was the work that happened ten years ago. And that's why the ITF documents and the W three C specifications came out. Like the industry got together, you know, the 12 biggest companies said, okay, we solve these problems repeatedly by ourselves, of course, with cross pollination. How do we make it accessible? I eventually graduated with my PhD around the same time when these protocols came to light. Uh, I built a company called CallStats.io. You can think of it as like uh, analytics for real time communication. So just like Google Analytics is for web, CallStats is for. Uh, is for real time, and I ran that business for for seven, eight years. Eventually, we exited just before the pandemic, so maybe not the best timing. Uh, you know, we've been, you know, trying to grow this product for for five, six, seven years, and you know, if you're venture backed, there's a big emphasis to actually like keep doing triple, triple, double, double. We did a couple of triples and doubles, but at some point we flattened out because the market kind of matured, and we couldn't see it grow uh, faster. And then the pandemic happened and like everything grew. Uh, that brought me to my current role at daily daily was a customer of call stats for several years, but because of the pandemic, it fueled its growth and daily is basically an API for real time communication for the widest set of use cases that you want to build on video. Um, and lastly, it's a third gen, uh, iteration. So the first gen was 10 years ago when the, when real-time communications first appeared, there were a bunch of companies that started then, then five years later, a second gen of companies, and then the third gen, which is, which is daily. And I think the big difference between the third and the first gen was like developer tools, uh, 10 years ago, there was no react. There was no react native, uh, like people were writing vanilla JS. Uh, so the t- the type of APIs you build for that period of time versus today, where you have you know Vercel, you have Next.js, you have like React Native, you have Android, iOS. You want to like be able to satisfy all these things, and people want to use. You know, if you're in the React world, you you want to use components, hooks, all that stuff, or use the lower level API, which is like directly. Um, so as a product company which builds APIs, we have to satisfy like a uh slew of things depending on you know if you're basically no code versus like oh i want to like control every aspect of my experience both uh, or both ends of the spectrum so that's how i got into my current role
0: very cool kind of progression I, I like that connection of like how videos changed as sort of the mobile world and the web has changed but um Full disclosure here, I am not a video or streaming guy. I don't know much about this. So I'm going to ask you like a million dumb questions today. And my hunch is we have a lot of listeners. So I guess the first one is, are we talking about like the stuff that, uh, you know, when I watch Netflix or YouTube, is it that or is it Zoom or is it, you know, what kind of uh, sort of streaming things are you talking about?
1: That's a good question. And I think, uh, the way we think about it, that is canned media or stored media, which is what Netflix is all about. Like, you know, you're watching a show, the show exists somewhere. Uh, they can actually use things like, um, distribution networks, CDNs to kind of push it as close to the edge so that you get you as an end user, get a great performance. That's one aspect and that's what we call stored media. It's been, happening for almost 30 years now the technologies improved vastly that you can like actually do very quick uh, like changes in quality which are not perceivable to the human um, even if you have a network issue. So that's more or less solved problem. there are a bunch of companies that try to do that. Uh, a lot of the magic is in the content delivery uh, networks or so video content deli- delivery networks. The second one, which is live streaming. So, you know, we just had the NHL playoffs and the NBA playoffs this last week. And if you're watching something like that, I think there, the biggest thing is that it can't be stored because you're watching it. And then the question is how far behind real time can you be? It can't be really, really live. Like uh, it, it can be, but like most often it's like a couple of seconds behind mainly because they want to, you know, for legal reasons, but also they want to distribute it widely. Um, that's called live streaming, uh, typically today, most of the technology, uh, is five seconds behind. Um, uh, so basically if a goal happens, you, you, you can see it on your screen five, five to 10, 15 seconds behind real time. The main notion there is that you shouldn't be screaming goal before your neighbor does or vice versa. Your neighbor shouldn't be screaming goal or a score before, before you do. So that's like the biggest challenge in that. Uh, in that framework. And the third one, which is uh, like real-time communications, where you're seeing something live. And what we've seen over the last 10 years is that we started with two people in a call, like, like just like Skype and whatever uh, came after, two people having a conversation. And then people said, oh, we want to use it in a work setting. Can we have five or six people in a, in a call? During the pandemic, that became you know town halls, 15 people, 30 people. And now we routinely see like 10 people in a call. The question now becomes like all these use cases, like the live streaming before that I talked about, where there are millions of people watching this, uh, like the game. Can you do that in real time? Can we use the protocols that we use for, like having, real time communication? And here we're talking about 200 milliseconds delay, right? Like between you and I, it would be probably like tens of milliseconds, um, because we're roughly in the same part of the world. But max, like you know, if you're halfway around the world. Speed of light, you can't go faster than speed of light and cables and all those things. So, you know, you're about 300, 400 milliseconds behind, but it's still good for interactivity in case you want to raise your hand. And, you know, like if you're having a big town hall, you know, 10,000 people watching the CEO speak and someone wants to ask a question, you should be able to raise your hand, get onto the floor through the green room or whatever, and ask the question live and then hear the answer live. And those are the use cases that a lot of people are aspiring for. And I think the the blurry lines between these three use cases, like the live stream, the canned media, the live streaming, and real time communications, are blur like becoming blurred. People want to use not three different protocols or three different technologies or three different vendors to do it. People want to roughly use this one API, one vendor. And does it matter? Should it matter that I'm connected to you in real time or I'm connected to like a sport ev- sporting event, and or like. Getting something from Netflix, like basically the API should be "I'm playing video." The source source could be you know live or real time or canned.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask that too. Um, looking through some of like your IETF work and these things, I saw a lot of like RTP, WebRTC, things like this in these kind of categories. Like, what are sort of the common protocols, and where do you see that things are perhaps converging?
1: It's a good question, and I think everything that is old becomes new again. So uh, RTP is like 30 years old technology and it started for broadcast or, or multicast uh and if you know like if you know your IP addresses you know there's like a set of multicast addresses at the end uh, which are not accessible mostly because like the ISPs don't allow like transmission like if you're on Verizon Verizon will not allow like a like a multicast beyond its boundaries you know, for security reasons but also uh, they don't want to send media outside and like then get media from outside. So it started for multicast and a lot of the design thing decisions we made for RTP were based on multicast. However, like by 2000, so this is 1992 when they built the protocol by 2001, 2002, multicast was kind of dead. It was only used in IPTV. You know, so your cable TV network was probably, is probably still using broadcast to like send you uh cable TV over over cable, but, you know, it's coming directly from your provider and that's typically the person you bought the internet from anyway. So uh, so that still exists and still continues. Uh, and when I talked about earlier, like MSN or Yahoo or like all these messengers from, you know, 20 years ago, they all actually used RTP, including Skype at some point started to use RTP because that's what all the engineers knew, right? Like if you move from one company to another, you can't like learn a new protocol. Like it'll just take you like two years before you're like competent in that new thing and you're just relearning something. So like RTP is like the standard, what WebRTC was and like people talk about WebRTC both as a protocol and as an API and they use them interchangeably. So there are two aspects of uh, WebRTC. One is the API, which was standardized and implemented by the browsers. Of course, uh, you know, the browser API is called LibWebRTC. It's inside Chromium. It's also inside like all Chromium derivatives, so Brave, Edge, Arc, all these browsers have it. And then Mozilla has a uh, has their own version of WebRTC, and Safari has a somewhat different version. But the APIs are standard, so it doesn't matter which browser you use, or if you take that library and recompile it into Android and iOS, you still have like the same APIs because the, the web APIs have a corresponding C++ layer, uh, so you can call these APIs anywhere. And then APIs in this case are not sufficient because there's a protocol that like sends the media over the internet. Uh, so those are uh, so that's the WebRTC protocols. And WebRTC protocols are actually all old protocols. Uh, as I said before, you know all these companies had Cisco, Skype had their versions of their product, and they were all slightly different versions of RTP with extensions. You know, if you're doing two cameras, one camera, every like no one uses the standard process or the standard protocols because there's always something that they need to do extra. Either their codecs are different, like H.264, H.265. So back in 2010, when we decided to work on this, people realized that there was a lot of competence across the industry, but no one had a standardized way of doing certain things. So the whole thing about WebRTC protocols is just a the whole industry coming together and saying like, these variants and these extensions of the protocols will do these things. And then that meant like, you know, had Cisco, WebEx, Zoom, all of these folks using roughly the same kind of things behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, it's funny as I was kind of uh, skimming around trying to not sound like a total idiot on this subject and know vaguely what you're talking about. I was getting flashbacks of like real player and some of these old things that I remember oh, yeah. using oh, all yeah. this stuff. Yeah.
1: RealPlayer is a good example of like old things becoming new. So there was a thing in RealPlayer called RTSP, Real-Time Streaming Protocol. Uh, and it uses RTP underneath. WebRTC uses RTP underneath. So it's uh, RTP by itself as a unit block is quite versatile. Of course, it was built for a different time. So And for old things becoming new, now there's a whole new initiative called Media Over Quick. And if you Quick is like this new protocol. Uh, that is uh, over UDP instead of TCP and HTTP3 uses quick for example to and there's a whole reason why we use UDP now over instead of TCP uh, for all these things so if people are reimagining the world of real player which actually had real-time streaming over UDP to say oh can we bring back these old things 20 years later, uh, and WebRTC already does UDP, so can we marry this whole world where the almost all of the web would work HTTP and real time, and everything would work over UDP underneath? Um, somewhat a demise for TCP, but you know, no demise is complete. Uh,
0: yeah, like I, I love years going to... back and 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 watching like. Um... Computer scientists from like the sixties, seventies, talk about ideas and things they had, and, and you realize there's nothing new. Everything's reinvention. Everyone thought of everything a long time ago. It's just taken a while for things to mature, and mature usually just means going through two or three lifespans of re- of reiterating on the same thing. So, sounds familiar from my world.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, although I would say what's changed from the sixties is how easy it has become to like build these things. For
0: sure. For sure. Yeah, developers are super powered now. Spoiled. I remember, you know, back in the 90s, man, like you want to learn something, you got to buy a book, you got to buy software. Now everything's open source, freely documented, wonderful. Languages so are that difficult. So I probably have no excuse for not knowing this video stuff, but I just never had a job doing it. Yeah. Um, I guess what are, um as things are kind of coming together these days and, and perhaps converging a bit, like what do you see as kind of the big challenges? I mean, I, I look at like, These reports saying like, you know, 80% of the internet's traffic is video streaming and stuff like this. That it's just like there's gotta be crazy challenges associated with that.
1: Yeah. I think 10 years ago it was all about streaming. The things like Netflix and YouTube were like the the 80%. The pandemic shifted that to, you know, like the number of video calls we are on every day. Like when we were in the office or even like before, like people did like maybe a few calls a day. Some of them some people did one a week or further apart, but we're now doing, you know, everyone's doing at least one or more calls per, per day. So uh, the real-time video is uh, is more prevalent now. I th- I'm going to go back to the three use cases, the, the canned media, live streaming, uh, and the real-time. I think what the biggest challenge is that people are thinking of newer experiences where they're thinking about like, hey, you and I are having this interaction while... You know, there could be hundred thousand people watching this and people think of Twitch being like one way to do this. Uh, and people are like, oh, how do I bring Twitch to my community? I don't necessarily want to use Twitch, but, you know, I want to like have my experience with does roughly the same thing. Uh, but I also want like people to have interactivity, like, you know, people be able to clap or like do emotions. And if you just look at the announcement from WWDC last week, like, you know, uh, apple came out with like screen sharing layered screen sharing like your video you have your slides you can go back and forth between between that you have your tv apple tv and you can use your camera like as a as a device and then it will you can do share play so like there are so many such use cases that people are thinking about and vision pro is coming and you know people talk about the metaverse at length for both home use cases and so video is just going to You know, everyone's going to have videos and this is outside of like all the ring devices that we have or like the doorbells and like the surveillance stuff that's happening, uh, pet cameras and such. So video is just like immense and depending on what slew of use cases you look at, you just see video emerge more and more uh, across this. So the biggest challenge is like, if I'm thinking of like a use case that goes beyond just the solitary. So like if I'm just doing surveillance and a doorbell, you know, you say, okay, that's maybe one use case, but suddenly you say like, I ring the doorbell, you're not at home, you're at work, you have to open the door. Now you want to have this interaction. Now it's not just like recording surveillance, but it's also like a real-time interaction. And you want sometimes now with AI and ML people like, hey, I want to like be able to detect you know someone passing by to a bunch of alerts send a thing uh maybe patch the user in uh to talk to this person who may not have rung, rung the bell as yet right so uh in that case you're thinking of these as three different technologies or two different technologies Our thesis is that it should be one technology it could be you know it could be several vendor like it shouldn't be several vendors but like the vendors need to be thinking about, like, how do I solve this uh, problem without actually having the developer to think too much about it? So when I said earlier, uh, so just like a callback to one API basically saying it shouldn't matter I'm talking to, you know, like a server recording or like basically an ML algorithm, which like finds the thing then triggers a communication or you press the bell to like get the person into the call. All of that, like from an engineering perspective, should be hidden. Um, And that's how we get accelerated into like people building more robust, unique use cases. Because if everyone's trying to solve like what I call protocol shenanigans, like you go from one protocol to another, then, you know, they all, they don't always work together. Then you spend a lot of time debugging and trying to like make them kind of massage them into place. Uh, And that can be the same with multiple vendors. You're like, hey, this thing has a different state, it gets triggered at a different point. The state machines don't match. How do I make the state machines match so that I can make them work together? Um, I think those are the biggest challenges. And we have a perception that you know having very simple APIs that solves all these problems under the hood kind of takes away some of that mental gymnastics that you might have to do to like kind of get these things to work together.
0: Yeah, it was... Uh... Easy enough to see and kind of surveying this stuff. There's, I mean, even just uh, video encoding formats, it's mind boggling how many of these things there are now. Like, I, I guess it's just like a topic I hadn't paid attention to in a long time. I, I was curious, though, um, you know, in the more kind of synchronous and like event driven things, there's always this challenge of, of how do you kind of design how these things are going to work or look at scale when you have lots and lots of them so that People can find the right thing, understand how to use it. Are there sort of common issues like that in the streaming world? Um, I mean, it's kind of weird because it's like you're basically just grabbing whatever video comes at you and throw it the other way. In some sense, but um, you know, when you think about like I'm starting from scratch, providing a developer experience for integrating with these things, kind of what are the design challenges?
1: Yeah, if you come from an HTTP model of thinking. It's slightly different because like in HTTP, the resource needs to be like replicated in many places, right? Like you basically say, oh, someone, let's say even in the case of Facebook messages or whatever, like the thing is like someone writes a message, you push it to the web server, the web server replicates it in one or more places in databases and caches, so many places. And then someone who's reading it like pulls it. And the design problem there is like, how quickly are you, you know, like ingesting this data and how quickly are you, like exposing this information, like a new message, right? So like you have PubSub, like a, as a design parameter where you're like, I'm publishing information, I'm subscribing to this information. And if the system knows that there is a live subscription on this publish, then there's a fast track uh, to like kind of make this message go faster to that subscription while you're still also putting it to disk. Um, there's a lot of HTTP stuff that you can use for like standard messages if you're like thinking about data. Uh, Unfortunately, that same thing for real-time is a work in progress. Uh, So what we call selective forwarding units, um, they've existed for about like 10, 12 years. Uh, It started with like, the there used to be something called multi-control units, MCUs and SFUs. Now, the the thing there was like, if you remember when when we had offices and rooms and room systems, like you went to a room and you had a video system there, you switched it on, saw people on television. Uh, typically they would composite the video. So like, even if there were five people in the video, they would like, there was some server in the cloud that would composite them together, like small, big, whatever, whoever is speaking, someone would like the algorithm would control it, but you would only get one stream. So even if there were five people on the video, uh, the compositing in the cloud was doing that. And that made sense. Like if you're Cisco and you're selling servers it's your job to like kind of sell you, like it may, like you could buy a heavier, more expensive server, which would do like 20 people or 40 people. So like there was business need and Cisco is in the business of selling servers. So it didn't, like that was what they did. Until like 10 years ago when selective forwarding units and like, as you're scaling, you have 20 people, you can't actually composite it anymore, right? Like it's too much uh, computing resources on the cloud and someone has to pay for it. So people realized that instead of like having very large servers, what if we distributed these servers across the world and they selectively forward? So like if you are in a big call, let's say a Peloton, right? Like that's a very good example. Like there's a trainer you're looking at the trainer, but you're a, also a group of cohort of friends who are like who are doing this exercise together. But there are also like fifty other people who you don't know who are on the call. So like it becomes like I want to watch the trainer. I want to have a synchronous live communication with my friends uh, which is private we don't want the trainer to hear that but then there's also like the 40 other people that i want to see in small like uh, so you basically have these three modalities now that that's happening one follow the trainer uh comment with your friends and then watch the the rest of the class now in this case is you would like think about which ones can be delayed what are the latency guarantees for each Subset, uh, and that's what the selective forwarding unit would do. So basically, the end points would have more control. You know, I as an end user who's on the bike can decide who I want to watch at what priority, and you kind of move the logic away from the server side, uh, l- largely to the endpoints because endpoints can subscribe. And then you need that magic, right? Like if I have a bad connection, I still, I, if I can't carry all those sixty streams. Which streams should I deprioritize? Which streams should I see in higher resolution at high frame rate? Which ones can I do at low resolution, lower frame rate? Which ones can I turn off, right? Like I can turn off the class if I don't have enough bandwidth. And I just want to list like, and if I'm really low, then I should just see the, the the trainer. And if I can't see the trainer, then I should either listen to the trainer or I should just see the trainer and turn off. And th- like some of that magic can happen on the, on the cloud. Uh, so basically, for this, you can't do something off the shelf. Uh, There's some open source things, of course, you can build on top of, but uh, but some of these things, like if you talk about mesh SFUs, which is like you have a SFU and then you, how do you scale? Like you can horizontally scale something or you can vertically scale something. And typically if you want to get 100,000 people watching some stream simultaneously, you'll horizontally scale it, right? So that is like the magic that we bring Is we have something called mesh SFU, which allows you to like horizontally. So we horizontally scale, uh, so that you don't have to worry about like you have ten people in a call or hundred thousand. We will figure out how to do that. We give you enough APIs to express like what are the priority levels. We figure out how much bandwidth uh, our servers figure out what how much bandwidth you have, so that we can downstream the appropriate amount of data, so that you can have a good experience. Uh, developers can say like, you know, in the worst case, what do they want? Do they prefer video or audio? Um, So in the worst case, then we can use their input as guidance so that we can, the servers can decide what to do uh, in those circumstances.
0: Yeah, all this stuff makes my head hurt, Uh, (laughs) which I I noted uh, that you've also uh, are are working on a book on kind of this live streaming type tech stuff. Uh, You want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, we are uh, cooperating with the, the Dummies uh, franchise. Uh, so there's a Dummies for interactive live streaming that will come later this summer. Uh, the idea here was to like put together these three aspects, like uh, the different various use cases people have, both for live streaming and in real time. That's one part of the book. The second part is the protocol shenanigans, like there are so many protocols. They're all four letter acronyms and you have to learn so much before uh, how do you like reconcile all of that into like one holistic viewpoint? So you know, mental model for that. Uh, and thirdly, like uh, what would the API look for look like? So we've had the product out for uh, over two years now. Uh, so writing this book is a point in time to say that, you know, this is not really that complex. The use cases have emerged and people are thinking about this experience more widely than uh, people know and uh, there are simpler ways of doing this uh, so one mental model one API and one and if you care about the under underpinnings it's one protocol uh, that drives all of this
0: so normally this is the part of the show where I ask uh, guests you know where do you think if you had to Point someone in the right direction on where to get started, uh, where would they go. My hunch is you might just answer read the book, but uh, I'll go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, you know, for someone just getting going in this, you know, what's your advice? Yeah,
1: I mean, we have a really good blog post on Daily Co that you can go and find. so you type ILS, uh, interactive live streaming, Daily Co you'll find it i think docs.daily.co is like a really good starting point for this if you're really curious like about the underpinnings of this you should wait for the for the book to come out it explains in like good graphics for dummies for example so like you know we've tried to like go with that idea that make it accessible to people who are interacting with the technology for the first time um and it should be out in the next 60 days so
0: Cool. So probably by the time this goes to air. yeah. Well, uh, I I identify with uh, feeling like a dummy today on this subject. Uh, (laughs) So I think you might have picked the right category of book. Uh, But thank you so much for kind of giving us some insight to this stuff. And I guess uh, for folks who kind of want to learn more, hear from you more, I I think you already kind of mentioned the daily blog. Are there other places people should look to follow you?
1: Oh, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Mastodon. Uh, we're on all socials, including LinkedIn. You should uh, you should, type daily.co and you should find us. Or Daily Very H2. cool. Thanks again for joining us, Varun. Thank you, Jason. Thank, thanks a lot for inviting me and having this conversation. It's been fun.
0: Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask... Look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question, and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you. API Intersection podcast listeners are invited to sign up for Stoplight and save up to $650. Use the code INTERSECTION10 to get 10% off a new subscription to Stoplight Platform Starter or Pro. Take a look at this episode's
1: description for more details.